Well, we've all heard the claims, haven't we? We've probably heard them come from the mouths of a few different people this year. And if you're on social media, you've definitely seen it on people's Facebook walls and Instagram feeds. New year, new me. You heard it? You said it? I hope you haven't said it. Come on now. Yeah, when we dig a little bit deeper, this seems to just be a throwaway comment which is made by people which rarely but has any backup. It's rarely backed up with lasting change. Now James was a brother of Jesus and he was a leader in the church in Jerusalem and he writes a letter which is full of advice and wisdom which has stood the test of time longing to see people's lives transformed by the truth of Jesus James offers godly wisdom which remains as useful and as valuable a guide to living well today as when he first shared it all those years ago so as we enter into a new year together let us lean on the trusted wisdom of old to help shape us into the people that God has been calling us to be. New year, new you? Maybe. Maybe. Let's, let's wait and see. This year might just be the year of transformation. Over the next few weeks, myself and the pastoral team are going to be leading us as we dive a little, little bit deeper into the throes of the book of James for the answers to questions which affect our everyday lives. Questions which you may have asked or questions which you may have thought. Questions which you may have heard other people ask and questions which you know other people think about. Questions like, what shall I do whenever I'm tempted? What should I do whenever I'm feeling really angry or really proud of myself? What should I do when I can't bite my tongue? And I'm really excited because Pastor Joanne, one of the fieriest people I know, is going to be looking at that one for us. Or what should I do when I'm really struggling, either physically or mentally? What should I do when I feel that life's getting on top of me? Or what should I do when I just really want to make a lasting and real difference in the world? The book of James is full of practical advice for everyday people like you and me. Unlike the advice gurus and the agony ants of today, you don't need to phone up loose women and get your advice because the advice and wisdom which James shared all those years ago is tried, it's tested, and it's rooted in truth. So as we embark on this journey together, I really want to encourage you, write some stuff down. You might not need it right now, but the truth is that we're all going to need these truths at some point or another. And perhaps God in his mercy and God in his wisdom might not only use these messages to speak to us in the immediacy, in the here and now, but he may also use them to make a lasting impact on our perspectives and to prepare us for what we may have to face in the future. And today we launched the series with the question, what should I do when I'm tempted? Turn to the person beside you and say, what should I do when I'm tempted? 
We'd all, we'd all give different wee pieces of advice, wouldn't we? We'd all give different people different advice. Now, as part of our service, Karen has already read to us from James chapter 1, verses 2 to 18. And I encourage you, as we journey through the passage together this morning and wrestle with this question, keep the passage open before you, either in your physical Bible or in your electronic Bible. Yes, the pastor's saying get your phones out if you don't have your physical Bible with you. As we're going to be diving in and out of the passages together. I think it's fair to say, though, that all of us, regardless of our gender, regardless of our age, regardless of our life experience, that we can all say that we know what it means to be tempted. We may not all, we may not all be tempted by the same things. In fact, we're probably tempted by different things. But I think it's a pretty safe assertion to make that each and every one of us have been tempted by something at one stage or another. The fall which we read about in Genesis chapter 3 where sin was allowed to enter into the world means that by our very nature we are inclined to sin, to do things which contradict God's words and his standard and ultimately create a barrier between us and intimacy with God. However, it's very important that right at the outset, not only of this message, but also of this series, that there is a definite difference made between being tempted and being sinful. Being tempted is different than being sinful. The truth is no better illustrated to us than when Jesus himself was tempted by Satan in the wilderness in Luke chapter 4. Yet in his temptation, Jesus does not yield to the pull of sin. Rather, he stands on the truth of the word of God and being full of the Holy Spirit is able to overcome the temptation which comes his way. Now, pastor, surely... Surely Jesus had an advantage that we did not have. Surely he's the son of God and we are not. So how can we overcome temptation whenever it rears its ugly head? Maybe it's the temptation to be prideful. Maybe it's the temptation to think that we always know best. The temptation of taking just one glance. The temptation of crossing a line we know should never be crossed. The temptation of choosing the easy option rather than the truthful option. The temptation to go back to the destructive patterns and way of living. The temptation to think it's doing no one else any harm. So let me be me and I let you be you. Even when we know that it's wrong. Or the temptation to think that it's okay because nobody else knows about it. Good news this morning is this, that Jesus didn't have an unfair advantage. You see, he did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what Paul writes in his letter to the Philippians. So the question is, 
as we enter into 2023, hoping that this year will be different than other years. What should I do when I'm tempted? Well, let's head to James 1 to find out. First things first, James calls us to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, I, I don't know about you, but see, when I'm struggling with temptation or I'm going through a trial, joy is not my go-to emotion. Joy is, no, joy is not my go-to state of mind. I'm a pastor. I know and I study the word. I know what it says. I know the right answers some of the time. Uh, but one of the many things which I'm still learning is how to equate joy with trials and temptations. Because surely the natural inclination is that they're polar opposites, right? Is it just me? No? No, I'm glad it's not just me. Oof, that's good. What does James mean then whenever he says, consider it pure joy? Consider it pure joy. Now, putting ourselves in the shoes of the original hearers and readers, it wouldn't have been pure joy for them when they were being pure persecuted for their faith in Christ. Whenever we put ourselves into the shoes of the original hearers and readers, it would not have been pure joy for them when they were losing their loved ones for the cause of Christ. It's important, therefore, for us to make a distinction between the command which is given to consider it pure joy, make a difference between that and being happy. James is not calling the church to be happy when these things happen. He's calling them to consider it pure joy. He's calling the church to a mindset, a mindset and an outlook that is different from the natural human reaction. James isn't saying that God expects us to be happy when we're going through the mill. And I have the joy and the privilege of being your pastor. And I know that many of you in 2022 went through the mill. And if you didn't go through the mill in 2022, you probably went through the mill in 2021 or with everybody right across the world in 2020. He's not saying when you need to be happy whenever you're going through the mill. Or he's not saying that we need to be happy when bad things happen to us or when we're tempted to follow back, fall back into our old destructive habits. No, that's not what James is saying. Rather, James is calling us to adopt the mindset of Christ, one which is only possible through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The call to consider it pure joy is a call to Christ likeness. You see, happiness is a temporary feeling. You can be happy one minute and you can be sad the next. But joy, joy is a state of mind and it is fruit, it is evidence of the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. We're told in Galatians 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you wonder how I can rhyme them all off, I learned them from a kid's song, right? But that's why joy is counted among the fruit of the Spirit, and happiness is not. Happiness is an emotion, it is a feeling, but joy is a mindset, fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Not something we can manufacture on our own, not something that we can conjure up by positive thinking and sending good vibes, but something rather that is only possible by the work of the Spirit in our lives. And whenever James says, consider, he does so very deliberately. He doesn't say, it is pure joy, brothers and sisters. He says, consider it, pure joy. And it's an interesting word because it's derived from the Greek word that I cannot pronounce, but I'm going to try anyway. It's hegehashti, uh, which is probably wrong, but is an accounting term which relates to organising or collecting things. Who likes to collect things? Anybody? Any collectors? I like to collect money, personally, but east of the room. The implication of its use is that we should enter our hardships, those temptations, those trials, those difficulties in our lives, that we should enter them as deposits, deposits into the bank accounts of our lives, not as withdrawals. And I don't know about you, but I much prefer deposits into the bank than I do withdrawals. And James is talking here about how we as believers should consider these trials and temptations that we face not in light of the immediacy of our circumstances not in light of what is happening in the there and now but rather look upon them in the grand scheme of our lives and indeed of life everlasting that's what he's saying we we don't speak greek does anybody here actually speak greek right no that's good because the pronunciation was probably atrocious right But in our English, we maybe miss out on what he is saying here if it's not explained to us. And Paul goes on and he expands upon this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And guess what? This call to consider it pure joy is not just for those who are more seasoned or who are older and wiser. Rather, this is a one-size-fits-all command for all those who are found in Christ Jesus. New Christian, old Christian, it doesn't matter. All of those in the family of God, the command is the same. Everyone here, and everyone who's not here, and everyone who you encounter on the streets, Everyone experiences trials and temptations. And it's probably incredibly intentional at this stage that James does not mention specific trials or temptations. For this indicates to us that regardless of the size 
of the trial which we face, whether it be unfathomably enormous or to other people unthinkably small, the response should still be joy. And whilst the indiscriminate forthrightness, have you ever, you ever met somebody who does not miss you and hit the wall? Right? James is not missing you and hitting the wall here. He is being incredibly and indiscriminately forthright. And the forthrightness of this command might not dilute the immediate impact of the trial or temptation that you're enduring. But it does show us that dependence on the giver of joy will positively impact the heart and mindset of the one who is going through the trial. So what should I do when I'm tempted? You should consider it as ridiculous as it may sound. Consider it pure joy. But secondly, we need to ask for help. Who here likes asking for help? Approximately zero hands. I'm hopeless at asking for help. In our house, in fact, we would rather walk aimlessly round a shop trying to find what we're looking for rather than asking a worker what aisle we could find that item on. And I've shared with you before, whilst they definitely are useful and make things easier, I and I should definitely use them more, instruction manuals are for wusses. An assertion I will still stubbornly stand by when the IKEA flat pack is still not finished four hours in. I hear asking for help. And I know I'm not the only one. If there's one thing about us Northern Irish people, by and large, it's that we're not good at asking for help. Yet when our backs are up against the wall, when we're facing trials and temptations that seem to be pulling just too hard and are seem too difficult for us to bear, the thing we need most is often the last thing that we do. The thing we need most is to ask for help. James writes in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Ask and you will receive. In order to overcome something, we need to be wise to it, don't we? We need to understand what is happening. We might not understand why it's happening, but we need to know what is happening. We need to navigate a safe passage through a situation. We need to possess the mind and wisdom of Christ that we might overcome just as he did. And guess what? I'm not smart enough and I'm not wise enough. This will not be a surprise to many of you. I'm not smart enough and I'm not wise enough to say no to every trial and temptation on my own. And I'm guessing that you're not either if you're really honest with yourself. We need help, don't we? We need help. We need godly wisdom. We need the mind of Christ and the courage to put into action that which we know to be right. And guess what? All we have to do is ask. 
All we have to do is ask. I was in Tesco the other week for half an hour. Went in for two items. Found the milk. Couldn't find the other one. And instead of stopping and asking a worker who is paid to tell me what aisle it is on, I wondered aimlessly because I went to a different Tesco than what we normally go to. I wondered aimlessly. All I had to do was ask. And so it is whenever we face trials and temptations of many kinds. You want help? You want to get through it? You need help? Just ask. Maybe today some of us have to swallow our pride and ask for help. And we need to ask believing that we worship and serve a God for whom nothing is too hard nor too difficult. Maybe we need to ask believing that our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and that we worship and serve a God who longs to bless his people. Believing that our God is indeed the God of immeasurably more who is willing to give generously to those who ask without finding fault. Consider it pure joy. Ask for help. And thirdly, remember who and whose you are. Paul uh, James instructs us in verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. One of the greatest lies that the devil is still speaking over our generations is that we are good for nothing. That no one could possibly love you. That if people knew what you were really like, no one would actually want anything to do with you at all. Beloved of the Lord, and I call you beloved because Jude writes in his letter to the beloved of Christ, and I just love that. And we're in East Belfast. Paisley said it often enough, didn't they? Called everybody beloved. Beloved of the Lord, do not lose sight of the reality that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High King. Do not lose sight of the fact that you are loved with an everlasting love and there is nothing, nothing you could do that could make him love you more than he already does. And similarly, there is nothing you can do that will make him love you any less than he already does. His love does not depend upon your performance. Your performance does not dictate how much God loves you. Believer, you are the redeemed of the Lord, redeemed by his blood, and you are his. A new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, so let's start living like it. Let's not believe the lies that Satan tells us, that he whispers in our ears when nobody else is about, in the dead of night, or even when we're sitting at our desk at work, or wherever we find ourselves, where he says, no one could possibly love you. How can you call yourself a Christian when you did that? Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. You are bought by the precious blood of Jesus and that blood has washed you clean. It has cleansed you from the inside out. It has made you into a new creation. And that means the old is gone. That the new has come. 
that you are his. So let's start living like it. The trials and temptations which you experience have not been sent by God to punish you. They are not a reflection of who you are. So do not lose sight and ensure that you remember who and whose you are. For James writes, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And a wee plug, if you want to learn more about the crowns of scripture, come along to the midweek on Wednesday night. We're doing a wee series on them. So consider it pure joy. Ask God for help. Remember who and whose you are. And lastly, don't forget to recognise God's goodness through it all. There's so much truth contained within verses 13 to 18 that I considered making it a sermon in and of itself. But you'll be glad to know that I'm not going to add it on to the end today either. So don't worry. But we don't have time to dive into all of the truth that is contained within these verses. But the truth is reiterated to us. God does not send the temptation. The trials and temptation which you feel, which you experience, which you face, God did not send them. That's what the scripture tells us. God does not send the temptation. But yielding to that temptation causes one to fall into sin which when allowed to gain a foothold in our lives leads to spiritual death and separation from God. But that's not where he ends. That's not where he ends. Hear the hope of verses 17 to 18. I thought it would appear. I'll just read them for you. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows he chose he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created church as we enter into this new year when you are tempted in 2023 and you will be tempted in 2023 Jesus says in this world you will have trouble but take heart for I have overcome the world but church when you are tempted when you are going through the deep waters of trials remember that the giver of life the giver of every good and perfect gift that he is right by your side. Never leaving. Never changing. Speaking truth and giving us birth. Enabling and empowering us to overcome by the truth of his word and the power of his spirit at work within us. I asked the Lord to give me a picture of that could help best illustrate this and he only gave me it just now. You know the comfort that comes when somebody puts their arm around your shoulder? 
and tells you it's going to be okay. Know that comfort that comes when somebody puts their arm around your shoulder and says, you don't need to face this alone. Know the comfort that comes when an arm is placed over your shoulder and simply just holds you tight. The giver of life. The giver of every good and perfect gift. As we go through trials and temptations in 2023, puts his arm around his shoulder and says, let's do it together. Let's face it together. So what should I do when I'm tempted? Consider it pure joy. Ask God for help. Remember who and whose you are. And remember God's goodness at work in your Amen? Amen. As the praise team come, let's just pray before we respond in song. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we thank you that your word is a very practical truth which can be applied to our lives. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that we find in it. We thank you for the reality that you do not leave us to fend for ourselves, but you walk with us and you talk with us and you remind us that we are your own. So Lord, we pray that as we face temptations, as trials come in 2023, that we would remember that which you have spoken over us and reminded us of today, and that we would be the people of God that you have called us to be for such a time as this. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.